From their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And yes, it is the Boomer and the Babe show, and welcome to it. Uh, this is Thursday, October 25th, 2012, and we are broadcasting from our studios, actually in Sun City, Arizona. Uh, we're no longer in our Youngtown studios. We've moved, and now the only thing we have to move is uh, into putting a different intro onto the onto the show, but we'll be getting to that hopefully this weekend. Uh, we'd like to welcome everybody to the show. We have uh, always tried to have some good guests and some good conversation, and I think today certainly meets uh, our objectives. Uh, and I'm Pete Peters, and I invite all the listeners to go to boomerandthebabe.com, see whatever, uh, everything else that's on that website, and some of the things that we're involved in beyond this radio show. We have several other shows. We've got Arizona Boomer Radio that uh, broadcasts at 9 o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday. And on Arizona Boomer Radio, there are several show hosts and several specialty shows, one about golf, one about making it in small business, uh, and in a real estate investment, and uh, and another uh, success or failure, the choice is your show, and there's all kinds of things that are in, uh, in the works and in the plans for Arizona Boomer Radio, so we hope you'll be able to uh, listen to that show as well. All available on the archives at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe, and also can be accessed through boomerandthebabe.com. All that being said, I would like to welcome my guest today, uh, Dr. Ellen Finkelstein. Dr. Finkelstein has over 30 years of experience providing hearing improvement solutions for patients in the Upper East Side of Manhattan and throughout New York City. She is a particular she has particular expertise in the identification of hearing issues that are difficult to diagnose, diagnose and providing the most appropriate course of treatment. Doctor, welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited excited to be speaking with you this afternoon. Well, I tell you, it is our pleasure, uh, and like as I say, uh, I, I kind of wish Deborah would be able to be on here. She's actually on uh, on the other part of the office dealing with some clients uh, in our publishing aspect of what we're doing. She handles that part of the business be, because she has a bit of a hearing loss, and uh, and, and we've been uh, discussing what we're going to do about that. So maybe uh, maybe we can get some ideas for her as well during the course of our conversation. But uh, before we get into all of that, uh, as I indicated before we got on the air, I would like you to give me a two-minute movie, if you don't mind, about your background and uh, how did you get uh, uh, started in this area of expertise and what has it prompted that prompted you to do so and and uh, anything you want to tell us about um, your life outside of being a uh, hearing specialist. Okay, well... Um, I was one of the lucky people who was able to find their calling when they were um, in college, and I was kind of floundering, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I had a very dear friend who was a, a teacher at Lexington School for the Deaf in, um, at the to- at, at, in Queens at the time. So he thought I'd be a great teacher of the deaf, and he had me come down and uh, you know observe and try to get me all excited about teaching. And instead, I started to look into my options, and I became fascinated by speech and hearing. And I was at Queens College at the time, and they had a phenomenal speech and hearing program. So I started to take courses, and I really found myself really gravitating towards audiology. 
And then, you know, I went for my master's and ultimately a doctoral degree in the field. And um, I'm, I'm, as I said, very blessed that this was the um, my first and only career, and I'm still loving it as much as I did when I first started. Um, I, I'm, I have a, a practice on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, a private practice, and I've always practiced in a in a private setting, which is kind of nice because in Manhattan, especially, you have a nice diverse population of people that you work with and you will, I also see a lot of um, very interesting cases. I deal with hearing loss, hearing aid dispensing, balance disorders, things like that. My most important job in life is um, I'm a wife and a mother. Um, I have two grown adult daughters who neither of whom went into the same field as me but both are nice independent young women so they're they're still my pride and joy and and after that comes my audiology practice, which I'm very passionate about well wow, very nice very nice um it it it, indica- it occurs to me and in reading over some of the notes and and the bio information that I have that I was given about you is uh, that American uh, America is losing the tearing uh, at faster rates than ever. Is, uh, uh, is can can you pinpoint a reason for that? Well, unfortunately, we are more. I I blame a lot of what's going on on the fact that we are more exposed to noise uh, than we ever were before. If you wa- go on the New York City subways, for example, not. Lucky you, you don't have to, but you. everybody is somehow connected. So you see people wearing um, personal listening devices, their uh, cell phones to the ears, um, music devices or whatever, and most of these are so loud that if I'm sitting on the subway, I can, I can usually hear the leakage from these earphones. So that's just an example. So what's happening is, is that all of these personal listening devices wreak havoc on your hearing because we have endless amounts of time that we can be exposed to these without coming up the air, so to speak. And the longer that the ear is exposed to noise at louder decibel levels, the greater the potential for uh, permanent loss of hearing. And we see younger and younger people more exposed to noise for longer periods of time. So I think noise exposure is definitely probably, in my mind, the number one reason why people are losing their hearing. Then there are also health issues, of course. Uh, we're exposed to more toxins in the area. We're exposed to more, more environmental noise. We take different medications. So there are a lot of – we're living longer, so we're, hearing loss is, is being diagnosed um, you know, we're we're seeing more older people with with uh, hearing loss. So there are a lot of different factors coming into play: illnesses, autoimmune deficiencies. So so there's medications that we take. So there are a lot, a whole array of factors that can influence hearing loss. But again, my my number one um, issue is is with noise and getting people to protect their ears against noise. Uh, I'm I'm certainly familiar with. Um, uh, uh, Exercise to some degree. Don't, don't do it anymore. Uh, <laughs> not as much as I need to. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, you go out, you you you, you strain your muscles, you uh, cause an injury, you you stretch a ligament, uh, whatever the case might be. Uh, is that uh, at all what's happening with the ear when they're bombarded with a lot of noise close in like that and a lot of volume? Does it actually destroy the ear or does it cause almost like an athletic strain on the ear components? 
A combination of both. So what happens with noise-induced hearing loss very often is you, you, you start to, you, you go to a place, let's say you go to a concert and you walk out and you've been exposed to very, very loud noise and then you walk out of the concert or, or you've gone to a club or something like that and your ears are ringing and it sounds muffled and whatever and, and then eventually it will go back. About Let's say within 10 hours you might get your hearing back. So you've had a little bit of, if you want to look at it that way, a little bit of a strain on the auditory mechanism. You've had what we call a temporary threshold shift or a temporary hearing loss and that will go back. So then, but if that occurs frequently over time, eventually the hearing may not go back. So then it can become a permanent loss of hearing. Also, a sudden event can cause a hearing to become um, impaired, just even a one-shot deal. You know, you shoot a gun or you could just be near a speaker one time. And if if the ear is compromised in a way that it, it can cause permanent loss of hearing, that's what will happen. So the hair cells in the ears, which which work in transmitting the sound to the brain, become damaged or destroyed, and not not that they're like the hair on your head when you you can't replace it, they don't regenerate. So ultimately, these hair cells become damaged or die off, and the sound cannot be efficiently be transmitted, and therefore we start to. That's one of the reasons why we sometimes start to lose our hearing. So it's a combination of both. That's why you have to be very proactive in terms of protecting your ears against noise. If somebody has had a hearing loss due to excessive, uh, well, I guess guess it's just like anything else. I mean, it could be overuse possibly. Would that be a good term to use? Um, Abuse is a good term. Abuse, okay. Absolutely, overuse. Um, absolutely, and and also, you know, where where you you touched on the fact that recreationally, you know, we stretch, we this, we that. Uh, going go into the gym, take a spin class, um, you know, t- take a, a Zumba class, for example, and here you are going in there to improve your health, and the one thing that you look around and nobody except for me has got earplugs in their ears. Well, mm-hmm. if you went in and you you measured the decibel level in there for that hour, it's been 130 dB, which is a very, very sh- loud amount of sound to be exposed to for a period of, of an hour or any period of time. So here you are trying to improve upon your physical health and you're, you know, because you want to be in good cardiac shape and whatever, but you're neglecting your hearing health if you're not protecting your ears properly. Uh, well, that, that, at almost on some level, and, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not right here because otherwise you wouldn't be in business. Uh, but, but on some level, uh, if if you've had noise pollution uh, and and excessive sound that has caused your hearing loss, uh, and you can't hear, mm-hmm. now you have to put something in your ears to amplify the sound. Uh, is isn't that almost an oxymoron? No, because it's a different. It's it's a. We have to look at it. That's why it. Ha- if you're getting a hearing aid, or if that's what you're referring to, yes. that's the. That's why it's so important to have the proper person fit fit a hearing aid and to get the absolute best technology that you are able to afford to to buy, and gross amplification devices or hearing aids not purchased through appropriate professionals. Those yes can become damaging to your hearing because you have to know what you're doing when you when you when you're working with a patient with a hearing loss, and it's a fine you know the research that goes into hearing aids is enormous. Maybe. There it's there's a lot of features and 
uh, algorithms built into these hearing aids which prevent noise from damaging your ears. They're fit according to your hearing loss. They're fit, you know, there are a lot of different factors going into hearing aid fitting. So if you're going to go into a, a wholesaler, for example, where they sell toilet paper and you go and you expect to get the best hearing aids, you know, you, you can get hearing aids, you can actually, if they're not fit properly, cause yourself to have a problem. So that's why you want to go to the right professional, somebody like myself who's an audiologist, who has, in most cases, a doctoral degree in audiology, um, who's had enormous experience with with treatment and diagnosis of hearing loss, who who knows how to appropriately fit a hearing aid, knows how to control the hearing aid so that it doesn't exacerbate hearing loss or cause your symptoms such as ringing in the ear to become worse or how it can actually, in fact, one company, Widex, for example, makes a hearing aid that has a what we call a Zen program that actually helps in our management of tinnitus, which is which is um, phantom sound in the ear, usually associated with hearing loss. So it's a little bit, you know, while one would think, yes, if it's a gross amplification device, that might be further damaging, but not with the hearing aids of today. Uh, I'm familiar, the only hearing aids that I'm personally familiar with are the ones that my 89-year-old mother wears. Right. Uh, and uh, I was giving you a little background information on, on, on what her situation has been all of her life. And uh, we recently had one of them fitted with a new mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, uh, the hearing aid, they're digitals. Right. And, and the hearing aid... Uh, Mold is designed so that it would be very, very snug in her ear. And as as the audiologist was explaining to us, it creates a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And that's what allows her to hear anything at all because she has no no eardrums in her ear. Right. Well, in your mom's case, as we previously discussed, she has a very severe loss of hearing. So our goal is to get something. We need to have a really great tight-fitting ear mold so that we can properly fit her loss with with a you know with the with the appropriate amplification device and not have that leakage or feedback that that we sometimes have from hearing aids. Right. Um and again a lot of the newer hearing aids especially the very good digitals have um feedback managers or controls in them that enable us to control the, you know so that you you shouldn't be hearing that feedback or that whistling noise coming from hearing aids. So that is in your mom's case that is the appropriate way to fit. You know, a good severe loss of hearing, severe loss of hearing, you really want to get a very good tight fit. But with a lot of other patients, we actually do the opposite. We look to keep the ear canal as opened as possible. Oh, really? Yes, and we cannot do that when a patient has the type of loss that your mom has because physiologically it just can't be done. But um, a lot of the new hearing aids that we have, um, they're little teeny hearing aids or, or mm-hmm. you know, pretty small that go behind the ear. They have very thin wires and receivers that go in the ear. We keep the ear canal open. Um, we have fun names for them like clear, passion, fusion, but, you know, basically they give the information, you know. They're all based on, um, you know, they, they – they, 
they're young, you know, they mark from a marketing point of view, but they tell you what they do. They give very clear sound, and by keeping the ear canal very opened, we're able to get much more natural sound to the ear so that you're still using whatever, um, some of the low-frequency hearing that you have, which very often can cause you to feel a little blocked or clogged, and allow the appropriate frequencies to be um to be amplified and the delivery to the ear is so much more, the quality of the sound is so much more natural. It's a really good true sound. So that's another way of, of uh, fitting patients with hearing loss. And for most of my patients, I, that's my favorite type of fitting because I just find that they're way more comfortable from, the, from a, uh, not only a physical point of view but from a cosmetic point of view. Yes. Um, talk to me, if you will, please, about... Uh uh, you mentioned frequency, so there's you can have, as I understand it, correct me again if I'm wrong, please. High frequency loss, low frequency loss, mid range frequency loss, uh, different different variations uh, on on pitches that you hear or don't hear, uh, and what would cause those if there is such a thing? If I'm correct in that, what would cause those? Well, again, you know, there are, we have certain hearing losses that, um, for example, if you looked at a patient and they had a predominantly high frequency loss of hearing, that can be caused by noise exposure, that can be caused by aging, that can be caused by any kind of physical, um, you know, physiological impairment. Lower frequency hearing losses can be caused by some type of a middle ear pathology, so somebody with frequent ear infections or fluid in the ears might have a low frequency loss of hearing. Some nerve losses, which um, have physical conditions associated with them, such as um, Meniere's disease, which also patients have some dizziness with it, those hearing losses tend to have um, be more characteristic, characteristic in the low frequencies and kind of get some upward sloping to normal levels. Uh, some people have flat losses. It's just a matter of where, where in the cochlear the damage occurs. Uh, here's what I think of when I hear people saying high frequency, low frequency, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. I think of frequencies as being like the keys on the piano, that at one end it's a high note, on the next end it's a low note. Is that any kind of a correlation there? Well, when I describe hearing loss, that's kind of what I do. I always say to a patient, um, when a patient comes into my office and I test them, I, I have, a, you know, I bring up what their hearing tests, you know, what their hearing looks like. And when we look at hearing, we look at it with regard to loudness or decibel level, pitch or frequency, and where you fall with, with regard to normal hearing individuals. And, um, that's exactly it. You know, lower would be your bass tones up through your highest, which would be your treble tones. Now, when you're looking at the way speech is transmitted, there are some sounds in the English language which are more low-frequency loaded, such as vowel sounds, and some sounds that are more high-frequency loaded, such as the consonant sounds. So, for example, a um, person with a high-frequency hearing loss, if I said the word deaf, D-E-A-F, they, without any contextual cues, they might say, hmm, what did I really hear? Death, desk, death, what what did I hear? So that there, that's where a, a person with a high-frequency loss of hearing would have some problems, okay? And the hearing loss, the hearing aids that I mentioned before are very good in terms of the open-ear fits, like are very good in terms of, amp, of helping patients with very high-frequency loss hear better. 
So, you know, when you're looking at a hearing aid with regard to the hearing loss, you have to consider what would be the most appropriate in in giving the patient the best performance in the areas that they're the most deficient. I I, I know exactly what you're talking about um, uh, when you say uh, the word deaf, and then you're, the question is, what did you really hear? Uh, although I said deaf, uh, it may be that you heard something else, because uh, Deborah, my wife, will will say now. What what she first of all thinks she'll say to me is when we're driving in the car, and if I turn to look out the window on the driver's side, she says, and talk to her, she says, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> because I can't hear anything, and I can't eat. If I have every chance of reading your lips, I, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and then the other thing is, is she says with some degree of regularity, she says, what did you say? And I would repeat it, and I would repeat it lo- more loudly. and, right. and and, and clearly, she says, "Now you want to know what I heard." <laughs> and that's true. And it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of that misunderstanding or the, you know, misinformation. And the interesting thing is, some of our hearing aids today are so high tech that, let's say, you're sitting in a car. And, uh, you know, and this is what made me think of it. So you're sitting in the car and you want to hear what's going on in the back and there's all that stuff going on and you really have background noise, but you really want to hear the, uh, you, you know, your children or your grandchildren in the back, what they're saying. So some of the newer hearing aids, they have these these um, features, uh, we call them free focus, where you can actually press a button. It's a reverse focus feature, um, you know, and um, you can hear exactly what's going on in the back seat in a car, or you can take a a remote control. It's it's uh, w- One company I use calls it a DEX, okay? And you can take this remote control and you can go right, left, front, back, so that you can't, you know, we, you, could, you could get yourself nuts, but you'll hear everything going on around you. So there's a lot of really good technology that addresses problems like that. Well, I do know that in, in the hearing aids that my mother has, there there is a, a somewhat of a feature with regard to that, that if you're in a theater, in a crowded room, you want to put it on this setting. Right. And if you're just sitting if you're just sitting and having a conversation with uh, several people, you put it on this setting. setting right. And, and one of those two settings, it's only two, and one of those two settings is better for television watching than conversation. Right. And it is a pick it up in the back kind of a thing. Uh they don't I don't think they're quite as flexible as what you were describing which sounds really kind of cool. Yeah, they're very cool. <laughs> they can be very cool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um let, let's talk a little bit about uh, a person with hearing loss. Um and and I'm 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 sure now that uh, it's happening a great deal to boomers, possibly more than others, that you you actually can be losing income, revenue, promotions, and it can be due to hearing loss. Correct? That's correct. Um, part of the reason is is that um, you know untreated hearing loss really does not allow a person to be at the top of their game. And we as boomers, you know, we really, we've got the experience, we've got it all, but but we always still have to because, they, you know, the workforce is, so much younger than many of us, we really have the need to be, I know, always at the at the top of our game. So that when you don't have treated hearing loss, you, you miss a lot. 
you don't hear everything properly, you can make mistakes, you can't, you know, there are a lot of different factors such, you know, you, your productivity is down because basically you just can't hear properly, which even people with mild loss of hearing, it, it can cause a barrier which can lead to problems with productivity, performance, career success, which overall can affect your, you know, your lifetime earnings and your ability to be promoted. And, you know, we really want to stay, as, especially as we get older, we want to stay more and more on top of our game and more and more sh- and sharper. So really um, our goal should be, what would be great is that corporations or jobs can create, a, you know, really great climates for, pay, for people with hearing, you know, where hearing loss is acceptable and to really allow us to be able to hear to the best of our ability. Uh, it, it, I think it's also there's an, uh, a situation where, and I, and I have been accused of this myself, uh, that when I'm talking, I'll, all of a sudden I'll start just talking down here. Right. And and Deborah goes, would you please not um, don't mumble? And and I and I to me I'm not mumbling. I'm just talking down here. Uh, and and people that do that, myself included, uh, could cause a real problem for somebody even with good hearing, let alone somebody with uh, hearing loss. Well, I'm laughing because in my in my world. My husband is the opposite because I work with hearing impaired patients all day and I'm very loud and I'm very articulate. I go home and he's like, can you take it down a notch? <laughs> You're too loud. <laughs> so there's a lot there's a lot to be said for that. But but people who mumble, yeah, you know, if you have a little bit of a hearing loss, you're not speaking directly to a person, that could be a bit of an issue. Right, right. You have to have your volume control, don't you? Absolutely. As as the speaker, you have to have your volume control. Without a doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, Left untreated. Um, uh, Economically, uh, limiting income uh, over time, possibly. Uh, But left untreated, what what can this uh, what can this conceivably uh, add up to do you have any ideas well yeah i mean untreated hearing loss again could you know from a work point of view can can cause you to be less productive than maybe you should be so you know you're more of a chance for making mistake for not advancement for you know for you want to be on the top of your game from a work point of view but from a from a physical point of view also we're finding that hearing loss that's left untreated even the is is we're not as sharp. There's a lot of sensory deprivation that goes on, and I think you and I started to touch on that before the show about your yes. mom. Yes. Is that you know, they, we're finding untreated hearing loss even with people in their their 60s, even with very mild loss of hearing, it's being found to be linked to early early dementia, early Alzheimer's, and we're not quite sure. Why? It could be, you know, is it a genetic thing or is it just that the brain is not getting enough information, you know, and and you want to be able to stimulate your brain as much as possible and keep you sharp and keep your senses sharp. So, you know, and that that could be a very big part of it. So that's why we opt to treat hearing. That's one of the many reasons why we opt to treat hearing loss much earlier is so that, again, we stay sharper and more mentally healthy. Hearing loss can also cause anxiety. People, and this again, going back to the workforce, people who don't hear can become more anxious. They can be perceived as being um, kind of over the top and anxious. 
but they're more anxious not necessarily because they have anxiety issues, but because they're so anxious because they're working so hard to hear. So, you know, hearing loss can cause anxiety issues. It can cause you to feel socially isolated. Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors. It can cause some social withdrawal. A mis- misunderstanding of words, conversations, having you co- turn up televisions loud, you know, things like that, which, again, sometimes you don't even, it, people don't recognize that you have a hearing loss. They just think, well, you know, maybe what's, what's missing here? So that's why it's so important to be able to treat hearing loss as early as we possibly can. Well, I know uh, exactly what you're speaking of with regard to um, uh, loss and effects of or uh, combined with um, dementia, Alzheimer's dementia. My dad uh, passed away of complications of Alzheimer's dementia. And uh, he had he also had hearing aids in, in both ears. And uh, his loss was not as severe as my mother's loss. Um, but nonetheless, um, it got to the point that he just took the hearing aids out and did and re- plain flat refused to put them in. Right. He just didn't do it. He didn't want to deal with it. Didn't want to cope with it. Uh, I don't. I never really fully understood why uh, he he didn't want to. But I mean, it just got to be more of a pain pain in the in the backside, I guess, than, it, than he felt it was worth. And so when he's in laying in the hospital, we had to tell people and had to uh, school the. Uh, the caregivers in the hospital that if you would like him to do something, first of all, <laughs> due to his condition, he may be somewhat stubborn. Right. But you, you, but you have to speak directly into his right ear and right. do it very clearly and succinctly, because otherwise he may not hear you, and you have to ask him to help you. Right. And you don't I, really know if the reason that he really rejected it was because he just didn't want to be bothered or the or he might have felt overstimulation or he he had it you know maybe he, it was just too much for him or what really was mentally going on that's the problem with alzheimer's patients is that we don't really get what's going on right so unfortunately we don't really know why they reject you know certain things hearing aids glasses um you know canes anything or or even their family we don't really know what's happening in that brain and that's a problem so that's why, again, you know, patients with Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever, if we can, as younger people, address our hearing losses and stay sharp and whatever, you know, it, it's you really don't want to deprive any of your senses, senses at all. And right. hearing is very important to be preserved if we can. Yes, yes, because I, I can I can see that happening right now with my mother. She's got these hearing aids. I know they work. I know for a fact they work. I've been there when they've been adjusted and uh, refurbished and the whole deal. Uh, they're very good hearing aids. But right. nonetheless, she complains that they don't work. And then one minute she can't hear anything, and the next minute she's just jumping out of her skin because she's hearing everything. Right. Like it's like it's super sensitivity. And, 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 and I, it's hard to know <laughs> right. what 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 we should be doing with regard to that and i i i've just kind of said to myself well uh, we're going to try to do mid range as best we can but if i have to if something bangs in it she jumps out of her skin well i have to say i'm well, sorry and also you know with, with regard to that you know the assumption is is that you've entrusted her care to a well qualified professional audiologist right. and you know i also um 
I, you know, you spend a day in my office, and you, I'm part audiologist and part, you know, part therapist, mm-hmm. because there's so hearing loss is such an emotionally charged um, thing, and you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of hand holding that goes on, and there's a lot of counseling, and even with the best hearing aids, patients have to always have realistic expectations, um, and I'm very much about counseling, preparing patients for what to, what they should expect, doing adjustments over time, really working very, very closely with, with my patients so that they are uh, aware of the, what, what the limitations of hearing, you know, of hearing devices are, and how the family members should interact with them. And so we work very closely. It becomes a very relationship, and I pride myself in very long-term relationships with most of my patients. And part of it is because you really do have to listen to what's going on with the patient, make the appropriate adjustments in the hearing aid, and counsel appropriately so that you know what you have, that hearing aid wearers have realistic expectations as to what they're going to expect. How does somebody know when they need a hearing aid? Well, again, um patient comes in my office and um you know, you're talking to a person who believes that a baseline audiogram should be done on everybody at some point in their um, you know, adult life because you really want to know where hearing where your actual hearing levels are. And most of the time when a patient comes into my office, they're coming in and they're presenting with some kind of a a, a symptom of a hearing loss. Maybe they're not hearing clearly or they're turning they're asking people to repeat a lot. Um they're turning up the TV too loud, they're having difficulty in background noise, maybe they have a clogged sensation in their ears, Um, things like that, they're missing danger signals, whatever. So patient comes into the office and they present with these complaints. And, you know, the first thing we do is we do some kind of an otoscopic or a visual inspection of the ear, make sure there's no wax, debris, or anything like that. And then, you know, usually I administer a hearing test, which is a standardized test, and based on the results of the hearing test, we can determine if the patient would benefit from the use of amplification. You look at their tonal hearing, you look at their speech understanding abilities, and then you listen to their lifestyle, um, and you you hear what's going on. So if based on your patient, I have patients with extremely mild hearing losses who are very high-level executives who need to be at the top of their game, and they want the best, the most discreet, they want technology that's going to allow them to sharpen up that sense. So then we'll we'll we'll, co- we'll talk about it and we'll choose the appropriate amplification for that person. So so basically, again, the first step is to get yourself to a a reliable um, healthcare professional. Whether you're going to an audiologist first or you're going to a an ear, nose, and throat doctor, or you know, we, I partner very much with 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 ear, nose, and throat doctors because you want to make sure there's nothing physiologically wrong with the ear and then assuming that, you know, that would require a medical treatment and assuming that's not the case, uh, there are, you know, we do go ahead with hearing aids if the patient is really even with the mildest of losses. So there are, there are, are different technologies for different locations. Let me ask it this way. Is it the case where a hearing loss can be, and I think you've indicated this earlier in our conversation, that it could be affected by where the hearing loss is with regard to a particular segment or a part of the ear. For right. instance, there might be an inner ear problem. There may be some other problems in other parts of the ear, and that's what constitutes a 
possibly the loss and also the remedy? That's correct. With hearing, you know, assuming that always that you have medical clearance on hearing aid fitting, we don't go ahead and fit hearing aids if we feel there's any issue, you know, that it's not medically indicated. Um, That's very, that's key. So assuming the you know that that medical intervention is not the appropriate way of going, um, and hearing aids are the way that we address hearing loss. And hearing aids today are, regardless of the level of technology that we have available to us, are very very flexible. So you know, number one, if you choose a good solid company, um, one company I use is Widex. They offer me a an array of hearing aids from lower cost digitals or, or you know up through very high tech hearing aids. But you have to be able to assess. You know, when I speak to patients and we assess where you want to be, what the appropriate technology is. You listen to what they're saying to you. What what kind of lifestyle they have. What kind of budget they have. Where their concerns are, and, and then you make a decision with the patient as to what level of technology that you're going to go with. Even when you decide that, within every level of technology, these hearing aids are enormously flexible so that they really have these very, very fast chips in them, which enable us to fine-tune them um, and, and amplify the appropriate you know, levels in the, for the appropriate frequencies. So if a person has more of a flat loss, we can, we can structure the hearing aid to work that way. But let's say the hearing... Uh, you, you fit hearing aids, and a year later, the high frequencies, um, they they start to go. So then you can adjust usually these same hearing aids for high-frequency loss. We have things called um, audibility extenders or, or, or frequency transposition, things that that if you even if you lost your high-end, your high ends, you could still bring bring sound to an ear and let people will still be able to hear a bird chirping. Now these type of features are in, are available in all levels of technology. So so patients have to be very comfortable spending what they can afford to, and then you get them the best technology within their price range. So there's a lot of flexibility. The other good thing about about hearing aids is that, again, these, you know, um, we have these, the hearing aids also can become Bluetooth compatible. So they help you, you know, through external devices. They can, you know, be paired to a cell phone, to a television, to a computer. Uh, So these are very helpful, again, in giving patients more um, control over their life. Can a person uh, wearing one of these aids uh, be able to switch from uh, television to cell phone to Bluetooth uh, to car radio? Can they do that midstream, or is it something that's set in there and there's only a certain number of uh, settings uh, available? How does that work? Okay, so the way it works is I like to keep my hearing aids as simple as possible because I think, again, if you use a good company, you know, a good company with very good product, then the hearing aids are really designed to work on their own. Okay, so hearing aids are very effective in reducing background noise and enhancing speech when it's fit pro- appropriately. It's usually the patient who wants the control over their environment. So that's where programs come in. And programs allow you to give the patient the way to change a hearing aid in a given environment. Even regardless of technology, many of these newer hearing aids have these, um, these, um, 
remotes, or we call them uh, DEXs, where you can pair the hearing aid to these devices, which will then pair to a cell phone or pair to a television set or pair to your computer and enable the sound from your, t- your TV or whatever to be streaming directly to your hearing aids, kind of like when you go to theater. So you can use this. The patient has the ability to use it by using like, a, like it looks like a little remote control. It is actually a little remote control. And they can switch this thing on. It's paired to your hearing aids, and it will enable you to be able to you know, have have you know a TV um, go into your hearing aids, or or take a cell phone call and have it go directly into the hearing aids. It's quite cool, but very very good, and very good even for elderly people who maybe have some you know some, even with dementia issues or whatever. They're simple enough to be operated where it's really quite nice because they really just get to, to have that stimulation and get to enjoy um, you know things that they might not have been even with the best of hearing aids. So is it kind of like dialing in your radio? You want to listen to classic music, rock music? Kind of like taking a remote control on your television and switching it to, you know, to program to program, and that's what happens. They really do look like little remote, almost like a little cell phone or a little remote control device. Wow. And again, what you do is you press a button. Um, you know, you can do something. You can be in a meeting for a person in a business situation, for example. They can take one of these devices, which are which are paired to their hearing aids, and they can be in a meeting, and if they want to hear somebody in the front, they can free focus, front, back, side, you know, so that you have the ability to control where the sounds are coming on, some surround sound, just through using a very small remote control device. That's so it gives amazing. the patient a lot more control, and it's cool because everybody's walking around with some kind of a Bluetooth device, you know, so this really gives you the ability to really technologically be, you know, very good with your hearing aids. And you can eavesdrop on conversations. Well, yes, I would hope that eventually <laughs> we will. <laughs> Unbelievable. Among some of the documents that were sent to me uh, over the miracle of the Internet machine um, is a hearing health quiz. Uh, can we go through that? Okay. One, do I hear sound but have trouble understanding words? Okay, so what we mean by that is sometimes you can have very, very good hearing, but you might have some clarity issues. So what happens is, again, that has to do with the way not only sometimes the hair cells are are damaged, but also sometimes the connect. So it's not uncommon to be able to hear sound properly, but sometimes just have some clarity issues. And a lot of a little of that is hearing loss, depends on the nature, more, more with nerve loss, and a little of that has to do with the processing. Okay. Even in young uh, people like us. Okay, there you go. Uh, do I have difficulty hearing uh, difficulty hearing soft sounding voices of women or children? What happens is is that if our hearing loss is at a level that um, conversational speech comes in at a certain level, and if we have a hearing loss that's greater than that, we're going to miss a lot of soft sounds and soft voices. Usually. Uh, having trouble hearing women or children usually signifies some kind of a high-frequency loss. Uh, and what happens if it's difficult to hear and understand others in public places, such as restaurants, stores, theaters, any places where there's a lot of background noise? Again, usually means some kind of a hearing loss. Um, very often that could mean a one-sided hearing loss, but it can mean usually any kind of hearing loss, again, where background noise is, over, is, is overtaking the level where you would hear conversational speech. 
Now, all right, now you use the term one-sided hearing loss. Right. I'm sure okay. we've touched so on that. I'm sure we've touched on that, but explain it again. Okay, so just like you can have different vision in each ear, each eye, you can have I have 20/20 in one eye, I have 20/40 in another eye. So uh-huh. you can have you don't necessarily have to have hearing loss that is equal. So you might have good hearing on one side, you might have a little bit of a deficit on another side. So just be, you know, no two, you don't have to have ears that are identical. Okay, so and then once you have your uh, uh, your assist devices, uh, they're obviously balanced for a, a total package of total hearing with both ears, uh, so that you can hear equally well with both ears. Although one will be more enhanced than the other. Possibly. Correct. Correct. The patient should not know the difference between um, the ears. There should not be an appreciable difference to the patient. They should feel balanced and sound balanced, at, you know, at all costs. So when somebody's talking to you, you sh- and you have your hearing aids in, mm-hmm. uh, you shouldn't have to turn your head to the left so you can hear out of your right ear. No, not if you're wearing the right hearing aids. There you go. That's I guess that was a, that was the point. Walking around with your head cocked all the right. time. So That's why we, we try to. I mean, obviously there are times when ears are not amplifiable, or where a patient wouldn't benefit from a hearing aid on one side. That's you know that's an extenuating circumstances. Or if you're fitting a patient with a normal ear on one side and an impaired ear on the other side. Um, but if but in the best of all worlds, you like that's why you like to fit patients with two hearing aids. Each, each appropriately fit for that respective ear. Is it does it happen very often that a person has absolutely no hearing loss on one side, but maybe even profound on the other? Yes. Yes. And, and in a situation like that, uh, you just do the one ear that has well, loss. Well, a, a lot of it depends on the degree of loss. Sometimes patients come in, and if there's a total loss of hearing, then it's not a that not a patient that can be fitted with a hearing aid. So you have to be very careful with that. But if a patient has a hearing loss, that we you know we look at different parameters, and if we judge that that hearing loss can be fitted with a hearing aid, and that patient will be helped, then we counsel the patient. and We explain to them that we can bring the level up to be to give you some more balance and directionality, but you know, but again, that's why it's very important to be seen by the correct uh, professional, so that you can make the appropriate diagnosis and and remedy the situation appropriately. Uh, this might sound like a silly question, and it probably is, but uh, I have this I have this vision of somebody uh, walking down a sidewalk with profound loss in one side of one ear and very little, if any, loss in the other ear, and it actually can affect their gait or their direction because of what they're hearing and they're moving or whatever the case based on Well, the ear controls a few things. Not only, you know, if we go back to our high school bio, um, the ear not only controls hearing, the ear also controls balance. Right. So if there's... Um, a balance issue, yes, if the ear is, if the, if the part of the ear that is damaged that is responsible for balance, um, absolutely, there can be some effect. And also in terms of stability and localization, you know, so that's why when we're doing a, a vestibular or a dizziness workup, one of the important things that we look at is whether or not the dizziness or the loss of balance or the gait or whatever is coming from something that is, you know, could be ear-related. And we, we assess that through a series of diagnostic tests. Uh, in in this area where we live, Sun City, Arizona, it's a uh, 55 plus community. 
and and many of the people here have, are of my mother's age, uh, you know, mid to late 80s, early 90s even. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the women in particular seem to, and maybe it's just because they live longer than the men, I don't know. But uh, they have and have been uh, treated for something with regard to crystals and the crystals come loose or right. whatever that might be. What What is that? Exactly? Uh, that's BPPV, um, and that's a type of um, balance disorder. What happens is is that it's very often it's idi- idiopathic in that we're not always sure why it happens. Sometimes it can happen as a result of a head trauma, but we're not always sure why it happens. And what happens is is that these crystals become loose from the ear, and they kind of get I'm, – I'm doing this in layman's terms – so they kind of get, like, stuck in – the, one of the, you know, the internal ear canals. And then that can cause patients to get very, very dizzy when, um, mostly when they're turning from side to side. And it, by the way, that happens in all age groups. Um, so what happens is, is that in order to treat that, you need some type of, we assess that again through, through diagnostic tests, whether that is in fact what's causing the the loss of balance because that's the hot topic in in dizzy with dizziness now are is, are the crystals everybody comes in and says I have crystals but not everybody has crystals so what happens is is that if in, in you know if the patient does have crystals then we do some type of a maneuvering therapy where we actually are able to position the head in a way where the crystals will become dislodged and kind of make their way back so that once they're once they're not stuck anymore then the patient can, you know, will probably not become dizzy again. And then in addition to that, we do some vestibular rehab, give patients exercises and work with them so that they can tune their tune up their balance mechanism and, and hopefully that won't happen again. Now, does, um, uh, does the... Uh, how big are these crystals? I mean, are they like microscopic? Or? Microscopic, because they're, yes, they're microscopic. Uh, just teeny little guys. Uh, teeny little guys get stuck because if you think about it, you know these are very small. These are very very small structures in our in our right. ear or in our head. So they are microscopic, but they're enough that they can cause a problem. And everybody has these crystals, and everybody is at some some level susceptible to them dislodging. Correct. We don't really know the cause of why it happens. So uh-huh. it can happen. But, um, again, you know, very often it can happen with head trauma, but we're not really certain why why it always happens. Is again, you know, you have to really look at the whole package and see. We have to look at the patient's health history, see what's going on and whatever, and then, you know, but, it, but any, this can happen to anybody. Well, I remember way back, way back in the day or so, and I was living here in Arizona at the time, so it makes it back almost 40 years ago, 35 years ago. I was driving from this side of town to the other side of town where I was working. Mm-hmm. When I got to work, I mean, I made it fine and whatever. I did not remember having driven there at all. Right. And I became very dizzy, nauseous, right. had a, a severe case of uh, a, a, a bowel disorder, and just completely lost lost my... Uh, my ability to con- control my functions. Right. And and I was I was taken to the hospital. They I, they they thought I was having a heart attack or a stroke. Right. 
And I was taking the I was went to the hospital and it t- say that I had labyrinthitis. Right, exactly. See, crystals are just like one of many causes of dizziness, and that that's what I was going to get to. That's just one factor. Dizziness can be caused by so many different things. So the crystals becoming dislodged, or, uh, that's one thing. They could be caused by uh, some type of a labyrinthitis, which is a viral attack on the on the inner ear, the you know yes. the, the part that that's that. Um, dizziness can be caused by different medications. Dizziness can be caused by central issues. Um, pre- blood pressure issues. So there are just so many heart issues. We see, you know, patients with heart conditions that have dizziness. So there are so many different factors um, and so many different possible causes of dizziness. Um, in my world, I do a lot of uh, balance. Re- you know, I work very closely with physicians, especially neurologists, who are very tuned into, you know, patients with dizziness. So part of their evaluation is always includes some type of vestibular workup. And that's where we determine there could be a weakness in the entire system. It could be the crystals. There could be a weakness on one side or hyperactivity. It may not be related to the ear at all. So there's, again, so many different factors that you have to really look at an entire case history in order to determine what's really causing the dizziness. Well, that was amazing because I, I just remember that now when we were having this conversation when we were talking about the, the crystals and the dizziness, and, and I was told it was labyrinthitis. Right. Uh, go home, drink a lot of water, drink a lot of fluids, and take Dramamine. Right, and don't and and avoid salt. <laughs> uh, oh, I okay, avoid salt. I I don't recall being told that, but nonetheless, yeah. uh, it it was the fluids, rest in bed, and I, I boy, I I tried to get out of bed, and it was just like oh, yeah, and just basically had to run its course. Yeah, exactly. And they should, and they told me flat out they said, and we don't know how long this will take. Right, it's like exactly. A, it's, like, it's like a cold. <laughs> It'll like be like any other you. virus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, they've got some other things here, but I think they're all these are all, all pretty much self-explanatory about complaining about volume uh, when others are telling you it's too loud. I'm watching TV and listening to the radio. So turn it down all the time. Uh, that's an indication that you might not be hearing it. That's why it's up there, so you might have a loss there. Right. Uh, I find myself asking people to repeat themselves. Uh, uh, I'm always being accused of mumbling. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. But basically, if any of these these factors, if you if you answer yes to any of these questions, then really it's time to have your hearing evaluated because there may right. be a problem going on, and that's what you want to see. Early detection is very very important. Whether you choose to address, you know, whether you're you're an appropriate candidate for a hearing aid, that's what people get nervous about. Is that they, that means they're going to have a hearing need a hearing aid? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that you're being proactive and you're getting a baseline to see why you're experiencing these issues and what kind of strategies can you develop so that you no longer are plagued by those well there are many people as we all know and maybe uh, I know that I am one of them that I just think you know uh, this will go away Mm -hmm. if I just sit back and and watch it for a little while it'll go away well chances are that it won't it'll only get worse that's correct and and you're you're better off uh, as you said being proactive and and uh, uh, getting getting some kind of uh, activity going that's going to help determine what the problem is right. and also what it takes to remedy it if it's remediable. Correct. So, well, and we're uh, I'm looking at the clock here on the wall and and we're down to the short rows, doctor. It's <laughs> it's been a rapid fire hour, I tell you. We've uh, 
we've heard a lot about hearing loss, that's for sure. Well, I'm and, glad. <laughs> and I want to thank you for being my guest today. Uh, if I, I don't know what we can do to help you, and thank you for being on the show. I mean, it, it, uh, I always ask people for their shameless self-promotion as we're wrapping it up. So I'm going to ask you to give us a shameless self-promotion if you have one. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, I welcome everybody to um, explore my website, which is um, eastsidehearing.com. And for any of your New York friends, my practice is um, Eastside Audiology. I'm located on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Um, and I, you know, I, I pride myself in personal relationships with patients. I provide a lot of really good, you know, nice quality service in a in a professional manner and a very welcoming office and as i said i have a lot of experience in treating very difficult to diagnose patients um big family of patients and so anybody in the new york area who feels that they might benefit from my services i'd love to see and anybody who has questions you know you can always shoot me an email or whatever but go to my website it has a lot of really good information about hearing and hearing loss and hearing aids and balance problems and all of that and you get a little bit better feel for um you know for what I myself like an, as an audiologist is is about and you know just to you know really um you know if you do suspect a hearing loss and you're not in the New York area um I would I would encourage you to be seen by uh, by an audiologist. We have doctoral degrees for the most part, and we're well qualified and well trained. And if you're going to be going ahead and thinking about any kind of amplification devices, keep in mind that we are not, you know, we are, we are people who really, for the most part, have patients' best interests at heart. Well, I thank you for that, and uh, I thank you for your time today, and I, I certainly do appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to give you a quick call here. Um, uh, as we're after we're uh, done with the program, uh, a couple of other things I wanted to mention to you off air, mm-hmm. if that'd be okay. That's fine. And, and uh, so I'll be talking to you very shortly. And okay. I want to again thank you for being uh, being my guest today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again. Take care. We'll talk Dr. soon. Bye bye. And that has been Dr. Ellen Finkelstein, and she is an audiologist, professional, very professional audiologist, and she will be able to help you if you have hearing issues, and if nothing else, she may be able to direct you in the area that uh, is best suited for you to seek help in your neck of the woods, as they say, and if if you're in New York, look her up, absolutely look her up. She's a, a very professional and very uh very well trained and also a very uh I sounds like a very compassionate person when it comes to hearing loss and she really knows her stuff. So thanks again to Dr. Ellen Finkelstein for being my guest today. This is the Boomer the Babe show uh on Blog Talk Radio and we appreciate everybody listening and we'll be back again with more programming tomorrow and on into the next week and months. Uh, We've got a lot of great things coming up. A lot of people are answering my call for uh, being on the shows. So uh, we're looking forward to talking to all those folks and looking forward to you being with us when we're talking to them. So please, by all means, come back and hear us again. Uh, And we are glad to have you today, and we hope to have you uh, again in the future. Thanks again. Have a great day, everybody. Uh, do I have?
listening to the Movement Debate Show, where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet as Boomer and Babe, and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 